So yep. it's uh, Nicholas Groen, economist, and um, hey, yeah, we're having a, having a bit of a yarn here, and we're going to start with some jokes. I think we are. <laughs> so um, yeah, trigger warning. Um, first joke is a Woody Allen joke. <laughs> That's the sort of yarn it's going to be. Let's start with Woody. You want me to tell you the joke? Yeah, you've got to tell me yeah, the joke. So and it's, do it's the voice the end, if you and, want, and it's, unless it's too soon. Don't, don't do oh, the voice no, if it just oh, feels whatever, too soon. Whatever. Yeah. So, so it isn't a Woody Allen joke. It is a Woody, it's at the end of a Woody Allen movie, and it's a, well, it's, a, it's a Jewish joke that's been around for a long time, and it goes like this. Sounds like a New York joke, probably is. Man goes to a psychiatrist and he says, um, Doc, I'm pretty worried. Uh, it's not about me. It's about my brother. He's uh, he thinks he's a chicken. And the uh, the uh, psychiatrist says, "Well, why don't you turn him in?" And the guy says, "Well, we would, but we need the eggs." Uh, and uh, that's how the that's how the film Woody Allen. Sorry, that's how the film Annie Hall ends. Right. And uh, uh, yeah, I think you can. There's a lot to unpack in that joke. Well, let's look at uh, uh, let's look at another joke, uh, Lord Acton. Um, well, before I look, before we look at Lord Acton, let me just say this: that I remember when I was in my twenties, I suppose, early twenties, I thought that Oscar Wilde's jokes were kind of formulaic and uh, not that good, really. Uh, they didn't really. Uh, Sorry, lazy. Yeah, but lazy now, but, but but then I yes, but as I learned more about Oscar Wilde, I realised that I was wrong, and that right. <laughs> the way the way to think about those jokes is as depth charges, um, oh. as something that you know. I think Emily Dickinson talked about poetry. Good poetry was like an ice pick in the head, <laughs> nice. uh, and and um, and Oscar. Oscar Wilde, for instance, let me give you a joke um, in the very first page of The Importance of Being Earnest. And he has Algernon say uh, his servant is not bringing him what he wants or something. And he says, really, if the lower classes are not prepared to set an example, what on earth is the use of them? And I love that joke because, of course, it's just a simple reversal where yeah. People would normally say that it's the role of the upper classes. But in fact, in life, it's not the role of the upper classes. In, the, in life itself, the upper classes take whatever shortcuts they want and these moral standards then get pushed on to people at the bottom. 
and I think of this in a lot often in politics. Uh, the ALP, I, the, there will be people with different um, politics watch, watching or listening to this, but generally speaking, the ALP are better behaved than the Liberal Party, than the Conservatives, than those who represent the more powerful people in our community because they don't have to behave as well. Mm. Uh, anyway, so um, so I think, uh, yeah, so, so I think that um, the the joke, the, the Woody Allen joke is a is a marvelous, uh, just a marvelous window onto the way in which we lead our lives right at, at a at a sort of on the surface of all mm. the other things going on. It's about uh, living, living with lies. It's about living with convenient lies. Um, that, yeah, that's a you, nice you way to really, put it. Yeah. You really do not want to, <laughs> you, you just, you, you can't afford to, to call the lie a lie. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, you or have as a to have the mind. eggs, as you say. This is, this is, yeah. um, this is going to be an entry point into your essay. Yeah. Your, like, yeah. Un, unpublished essay, because as you do with your prolific writing, you often don't get around to um, putting it out in the world, but, um, I love it, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to get into it a little bit. Yeah, go for your mm. life. Yeah, yeah, but there's another joke. There's the acting yeah. joke as well. Yeah. So, so about a year ago, I published a an article that was, you know, in a way, a my summation of ten years of experience uh, working uh, as an economist who had gone who had ventured into social enterprises, social innovation, and so on. And the joke is, is something I heard Gough Whitlam say. Uh, it's a great joke. It's a sort of um, high Victorian uh, joke uh, from a guy called Lord Acton, who was uh, around about the turn of the 20th century. And he said, rowing is the perfect preparation for public life because it enables you to face in one direction while you go in the other. Mm. And my, my way of explaining to myself how I started with such high hopes, none of which really were achieved. Um, actually, I won't say started with high hopes. I started just with a, you know, with curiosity. But within six months or so, I, and I saw how powerful some of the things we were doing were, I was extremely optimistic and hopeful. And it turns out that in a thousand ways, these systems that have been set up by governments and by lots of other people mm. to do things, spend, you know, they've all got comms people, messaging, you know, we now have this word, the messaging of something. Yeah. So we have an industrialized process of creating impressions that things are happening. And the the secret of this it's fads a lot of it's uh the, the the frameworks are fads as you say well they're absolutely fads but well, you, the secret you, you say quite clearly that, that a lot of these things are fads and um pseudoscience and and things like this yeah but i want to make a more fundamental yeah. point which is that we are now in a world in which we're not in this world in which one group of people are oppressing another well you can say we are but a more fundamental point is that everyone is part of a system and plays the role 
of victim and oppressor in the same system. Um, and, um, and so all of the people who would have been involved in, uh, and the essay was about Aboriginal, um, uh, you know, policy for to improve Aboriginal well-being, but it was also about the work we did was in child protection and so on. And almost everyone in the system would have a good story to tell themselves mm -hmm. that they were doing the right thing, that they were making a difference. And all of them would have done the Lord Atkin trick, which is to say one thing and do another when push was coming to shove, when mm -hmm. something turns up in the papers, when a minister is under pressure and that you know everyone clears the decks and everyone is in damage control mode then mm. people are not saying what's on the mission statement that's not what they're doing and those are the th and those things are actually what matter yeah uh, that's so it. that well, that's, look, I, that's I, I recall but i recall your excellent critique in 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 uh, that work and you were talking about uh uh policy framework diagrams and you yep. are kind of deconstructing yep. those and and i've yep. referenced you on it a thousand times and told this story it's genius the um when you were looking at a diagram and it was a circular diagram and um part of that one of the values in that diagram was um centering indigenous voices but right. that particular that particular point was right out on the outside of the circle <laughs> Yeah, but it wouldn't matter if it was inside the circle because, <laughs> because this, anyway. is a this is a fucking diagram. You know, yeah. it's it's you, you're off in fairyland once you're looking at a at a something, uh, you know, an image with four nice words on it. Yeah, and this yeah. is and, and somebody tells you this is their strategy. Yeah. It's not their strategy. It's a list of nice words. If you ask the question, why aren't other nice words in the why aren't the you know, these are the four words you chose why aren't there why isn't there another word here and another word there and you propose mm. the word the answer is no reason yeah no reason um uh, you know this uh so, so the whole thing is focuses on people's wishes as mm. if that was the hard thing and the yeah. hard thing is always knowing how to do something useful that's it. And that's not what these things focus on. Well, and look, that, it's, and it's, it's grounded in this mythology that, that um, you know, all the structural inequality, that uh, everything else somehow in this representative democracy, that somehow all of the structures are built on the sort of aggregate of the opinions of, of stakeholders, you know, yeah. and that if their opinion, and, and worse, not just their opinions, their attitudes, that it's their attitudes and if they have the right sort of values then somehow magically that'll be reflected you know um mm -hmm. in the structure and then i mean maybe that will give you your magical rising tide to lift all boats or everything and it's just it's not it i really want to go deeply into that later uh, looking into um uh structuralism and post-structuralism and particularly how through post-structuralism we, we've tended to ignore that and focus on the discourse um, rather than the structures and this i think i think um a, a focus on systems sort of brings you back into uh like bringing at least bringing the structures into your lens again um and giving you a few more data sets to play with than just what appears in the text and, and what the window dressing is
Yeah, well, look, well, I'm very happy to talk about it. And I don't really agree because I think that what's happening there. So I, I do talk in my essays about these um, structures that get built, like what works centers, behavioral, you know, sort of nudge units, yeah, innovation yeah. labs, and you have something yeah, to yeah. do with an innovation lab. And what they what characterizes them all is that it's, it's this idea that knowledge can be introduced somehow from outside into a system and it does some good things. Now it does do some good things and the, I don't for a minute want to suggest that these things aren't of some value, but they're mm. being sold as somehow transformative. And the structuralism stuff is a somewhat different point, but I also hear you say the word systems. Now I don't claim to be an expert on any of these things, but I do, but I'm smelling yeah, I'm calling bullshit. There is, there is a, yeah, there's an ecosystem of um. Of let me tell you baggers. why. I'm, yeah. Let me tell you why I'm calling bullshit, because I think the situation that we're in is the situation that Václav Havel, the guy, uh, a, a Czechoslovakian dissident who became the president of Czechoslovakia. I think the situation that we're in is that situation. He called it post-totalitarianism. He was talking about mm. the, the well, it wasn't the Soviet system, it was the Czechoslovakian system, but he was talking about centrally planned communist system. Mm. How could that be similar to the situation we're in now? Well, he actually foreshadows in this essay in 1979, a long time ago, and he was, um, you know, he risked jail for writing this thing. Um, what he talks about is that what has been domination of one group by another has now become built into a discourse. Now, mm. that's that sort of lingo uh, summons up some of the kind of structuralism, post-structuralism, Foucault yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But he doesn't he doesn't go into that as if it's some thing that once you master it intellectually will achieve much and that's what i agree with him about mm. because he says this we are all implicated in this as ethical creatures we can choose life which involves some degree of candor or we can choose pseudo life as he put it pseudo life of making yeah. saying all those things at the office like you know how are you going today uh, you know, well, it keeps me, you know, you enjoy your job. Oh, well, it keeps me off the streets. For some reason, mm. that sticks in my mind mm. as a as a particularly vacuous kind of thing that people yeah. say to each other all the time as they live their pseudo lives. Yeah. And so I'm trying to say to people, there are all sorts of ways, and I would recommend very small, low-key ways in which you swap a preference for pseudo truth for something more candid mm. about yourself, particularly things that make life a little more uncomfortable for yourself mm. and others, and just try to introduce these considerations uh, into the discussion rather than have them nicely smoothed over and everyone yeah. play their role in pseudo life. This is the, the big thing for me uh, uh, that I've taken away from our yarns so far. You, you've been really generous with that, you know, um, and particularly, you know, the way you just take a chainsaw to it. I've, I've very much appreciated that <laughs> because, you know, I, he was, um, I think it wasn't a chainsaw. Ideas, well, I, I was trained in education. That's good. 
Yeah, I was trained on. in education. That's that's my my doctorate, my a uh, couple of master's degrees, everything, all in education. And so, you know, that's what we do. All of the ills yeah. that you're talking about is yeah. is yeah. that's that's what we yeah. do. That's I'm yeah. well versed in all of that. It's basically, yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of grifters and carpetbaggers going around and rearranging sort of you know catchphrases on a page and and the latest fads of the week are we oh is it disruptive yeah disruption what it's been six years how is that still a buzzword jesus yeah anyway you know it's is it disruptive is it innovative is it oh we're being agile we're being agile today we're gonna have a sprint this morning hey we're gonna have as if the words as if the words were the technology of being agile agile to be agile in the way that a software team is agile is a big deal it's hard Uh, yeah. It isn't about wandering around with with the word agile written on a board. That's it. That's it. Every, now everybody write up their post-it note and stick it up on the bloody yeah. piece of butcher's right. paper that you want to. How That's many right. of those have you been through? Mm. How many hours have we wasted? It's just yeah. <laughs> horror. Yeah. Upon exactly. horror. How many? I, exactly. I mean, I went and I spent decades going to all the conferences, and I was doing keynotes at these conferences, and it, eventually they stopped asking me because I'd be looking around the room and saying, "Oh well, so here we are again." You yeah, know, uh, the same yeah, old right. ideas for closing the gap and all that kind of thing. We're recycling right. those. It's how is your motel room? Is that nice? <laughs> Lovely, isn't it? Did we yeah. just just come yeah. back from lunch. You keeps all you off sleeping. the streets. Yeah, how keeps is you your off the yeah, keeping nice. you off the keeps streets? You off the street. How is the canapes there? Are you enjoying yeah. the canapes? Yeah, while you're yeah. reading that, I was going just down the street. And we're the same yeah. mob whose art is hanging in the lobby of this lovely motel. Um, they're all in the park. Yeah. They're all in the park because they've got nowhere to live, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I'd encourage all of you to do what I did and take your per diems and just go yeah. out and spread those, spread your per diems around the park because you probably don't need all of it. Yeah. Your per diems yeah. are not keeping you off the street. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know and, and start considering policies like, I don't, I don't know, like for a start, all the money for this conference, you could take that to the community that you're... Uh, thinking about solving problems for and just put it into their bank accounts. Mm. And then I would say the gap will close like a motherfucker. And, um, and they wouldn't invite me back again after that as a general. Well, rule. yeah, but I don't think but it would close like a motherfucker. A, uh, I no, don't think it would like, close it, because you need the money and then you need structures and oh, these Jesus. things take time. And I've so just on. told that story to an economist. Like, yeah, obviously that would no, no, work. No, 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 I'm not making, <laughs> I'm not making an economic point. I'm making yeah, yeah. a See, I said to someone the other day, uh, in fact, they were asking me to give a, the, 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 the verb to keynote. You'd be familiar with it, Tyson. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, they were asking me to keynote and it was to a university. And I said to them, I started telling them, I said, look, universities are a failed institution. You need to know that that's what I think and that's what I'm going to mm. say. Um, but I think if you, uh, and I don't want everyone to agree with me, but that's what I'll say. And then I'll be presenting you with a whole lot of ideas about what you can do about it. And they're not heroic ideas, they're ideas that could work out for your university. They could be little things that you start doing to grow the tendrils. Anyway, we talked about this, and I also talked a bit about the the chase for metrics in universities, Mm. the chase for citation metrics, and, uh, you know, to try and get published in academic journals and so on. And um, this, this one of the people on the call from the university said, oh, look, that's great. Can you say that? Because I think we should forget all about that metric stuff. And I said, well, actually, I don't, because the metrics are institutional yeah. imperatives for you. So you can ignore them and then you go broke. 
So that doesn't help anyone. So what we, when we, when I believe that we probably want to develop a world that's pretty much post metrics, there'll be a few metrics around, but your role is to try and incubate what that fucking world looks like, not just say, not, not just sort of, uh, uh, express yourself and say, oh, it makes me really angry. I'm, I'm against it. Therefore, isn't that great? No, it's not great at all. Um, it's mm. it's the very first step. So I actually I said to these people, I said, you don't realize I'm very radical in temperament and in my diagnosis, and I'm pretty conservative in my idea about what we might be able to do. And by conservative, I don't mean kind of right wing or anything like that. I mean mm. that we make we take small steps uh, mm. because uh, what other, none, no other kinds of steps are available to us anyway, but, uh, what else are we going to do? Uh, mm. so let's try and build, you know, but to, uh, but, but to do get to somewhere better, we have to go there or we have to build that, that place. Yeah. But it's, um, I, I don't know that that's not how the, the cycles sort of, uh, you know, tend to go in government, you know, the no, cycles well, tend to be about, you know, building. And fads, as you said, yeah, that's true. you know, yeah. yeah, and fads, you know, like you, you know, you bring in the. You've disappeared know, these integral integral coaches and stuff into the thing, you know, you bring in your, um, I don't know, someone who's got a systems thinking model to install, you know, someone who's got this, someone who's got that, you know, um, but you build the narrative and then, and then of course the cycle ends in, um, what you're calling discursive collapse. Yeah. And, um, and then it yeah. kind of resets after that. Yeah, you've disappeared from yeah. your screen, which is fine with me. I've also got a bit of sound uh, dead. Yeah. Okay. So discursive collapse and the cycle resets. Um, so I'm just wondering, I must have mentioned that in that essay that I sent you. Um, I've written about that. I wrote about that a long time ago. So discursive collapse, what I call discursive collapse, is well i it's a kind of kneading the eggs moment and yeah. so what what can happen is that a particular theoretical discourse that is a particular framework a way of looking at things <coughs> a particular set of procedures where you might say if you want to uh, if you want to you know you might say to a plumber or an electrician if you want to change a light bulb these are the things you have to do now this or let's say it's in physics or something like that then something comes along and it demonstrates some theoretical result comes along and these results in theory come along quite often no doubt you will have been um beguiled by girdles theorems and things like that um uh these these not yet that, that book is too thick i i haven't been able to get into <laughs> yeah, that one yeah yet, yeah yeah but, sure. um, but yeah. these results, these results come along and they demonstrate to you that what you're doing really simply doesn't work. Mm. And then what happens, and I base this on, there was a thing that came along in 1956 in economics called the theory of the second best. And what the theory of the second best really showed was that if you want to reduce everything to mathematics, um, then what you end up with is a model of the world that is so brittle so lacking it's so lacking in simplicity 
that you never, you can't ever use it to arrive at any conclusion. Mm. Uh, because the only answer you get out of the model is, well, it depends. Um, and so at this point, the discipline spent four or five years going, whoa, well, this is a really big result. We should, and there are lots of thoughtful discussions about this. And then after four or five years, what can be said has been said, and the methodology of the discipline simply remains in place. It hasn't, nobody's come up with anything that yep. people are happy with replacing it, and we just go back to normal. But what we're then dealing with is discursive collapse, which mm. is that we have this discourse and there are various arbitrary bits in it that we uh, we sort of ignore that there are huge gaps there. We just go, blah, 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 look over there, therefore we should deregulate, therefore we should spend more money or less money on this stuff. And none of it follows. Um, so this sort of, uh, and, and so what that's appealing to in a way is the theatricality of an intellectual performance, the theatricality of the expert. Mm. The expert should, as part, the, there should be a kind of Hippocratic oath for all experts doing anything, which is to say what they know and how much you should trust what they know. How, in other words, how much what they know adds to what we all know. And if you take the example, for instance, something I know something about of, say, economic forecasts, then uh, the very best economic forecasting will add about one or two percent accuracy to pretty naive economic forecasting. Mm. At the same time, the people doing it will fall in love with what they imagine to be knowledge that they have and will pose as the experts and will be able to pose as the experts because they're clever and they know more than everyone else. But what they're not, what they're ignoring is the fact that all this knowledge doesn't tell them very much that's useful. Um, so just imagine you, me, and a meteorologist arguing what whether it's going to be on Christmas Day. And, uh, or, or rather, let's not make it, uh, uh, and then we can go and we can check out things like the whether there's a La Nina and look up some tables and we'll each come up with a guess and the meteorologist won't be able to add very much or make it make yeah, it well, and if, see I, uh, but, I, I, I won't be listening to him I'll be um, I'll be looking to see what the ants are doing well there you are and you might be better and you might be better uh, but 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 certainly the meteorologist should be able to tell you that I know no more than what than the average of looking up the uh, what's happening on Christmas Day, and I shouldn't have made it Christmas Day this year because there are various medium-term things that a meteorologist will know, but mm. let's make it in 15 years' time. Mm. Um, uh, then the meteorologist, then they, they, they know a great deal about meteorology, but meteorology can't tell you what you need to know. Mm. And that's, and, and yet, if they're and, and I'm sort of embarrassed on on TV quite often uh, on on in interviews quite often because they'll say, "How do you see, you know, China in five years' time?" To which the answer is, "Don't don't even don't even talk to me as I'm as if I'm an expert about that. Mm -hmm. I can crap on about it. I can say what I think about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what you should be talking about is how much value ad I'm adding when I talk about that." Not yeah. how clever I am, uh, because it doesn't matter how clever I am, 
nobody knows much about that. Uh, uh, nobody knows. Nobody can add much value to that question. Yeah, but you can. You can tell people. Look, they you know they're starting to look elsewhere for their minerals. Um, you know, so you probably want to stop being rude to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would <laughs> you know, be good. That, that, would be that good. That's some pretty good. Yeah. That's some. Pretty I'd, I'd be all in favour. Decent advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's exactly. you know there's there's some things you can do. Um, you know, yep. in your, your predict, predictive modelling. That's I don't know. I think it's um, that's pretty commonsensical. Uh, well, no. If it, you, uh, no. Which one? Commonsensical or predictive mm. modelling? Um, <laughs> I, um, I knew you'd love that. My point is that if you want predictive modeling of what's happening in 10 years time, don't don't really bother. Um, use common sense, use information that you have and some common sense. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of you can't put much more art into it than that. Um, yeah. Well, uh, see, that's that's largely what's what um, what I'm doing out of this Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab. It's it's looking a lot at a lot of these things like what they're trying to do with um, you know agent based modeling and predictive modeling software and stuff and saying well okay so what's the affordances here that you're looking for yep and how are they how are they any better than what already is than yep. what and than it, the things things that we've always done as human beings how are these so much you, much better than that and why do you need to automate these things that's um. I don't know. That's where I'm sort of coming from. <laughs> oh no! Well, that's good. That. You, yeah. You'd be you'd be familiar with that book. Which one? Well, I'm holding it up. It's called. Oh, Super sorry, Forecast. I was just uh, I'd flipped across to your paper again. Oh, Super good. forecasting: Super the forecasting. art and science of prediction. Oh, look at. Uh, uh, now, um, the reason I bring it up, and I'm just trying to find the relevant page, and I might be in trouble trying to find it immediately, but. So this guy looks at what are the characteristics of of forecasting. To, so he's trying to forecast. Uh, this is a sort of whole new field in a way, and he started it. The guy's called Philip Tetlock, and in about nineteen in nineteen eighty five, I think he started getting interested in the extent to which analysts could add value to predictive questions. And mm. so a question might be asked in 1985, what is the chance that the Berlin Wall will still be there in 1990, in 1995, and so on? And he found out that it didn't really matter much how much yeah. you knew. You, the amount that you were able to add was extremely small. And so then he, he the next part of this agenda of his was to try to breed, if you like, that's probably an inauspicious word, but to try to create teams or try to create people, uh, try to work out what are the skills necessary to be better than an expert. How could you be better than an expert? Because mm. the expert has been trained to make predictions. The expert, if he's an expert or she is an expert in uh, geopolitical relations, won't have really put themselves through this question of how much do I know? How confident should I be about that? What kinds of? How much can I rely on this, this or that? So this is a, this is a. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? That mm. this is a whole idea that has to be kind of built from the ground up in whenever it was nineteen or two thousand and one, two, three, four, something like that. Anyway, so this guy's a psychologist, not an economist, uh, not a computer scientist, and so he's interested in what 
are the qualities of a team of people that, or a person that does clearly better than other people at prediction. Mm-hmm. And it is about expertise. They need a certain minimum amount of expertise. These are the qualities. They are cautious and these are their qualities and their idea of what the world is like. They're cautious, nothing is certain. Humble, reality is infinitely complex. Non-deterministic, what happens is not meant to be and does not have to happen. Their abilities and thinking styles tend to be actively open-minded. Beliefs are hypotheses to be tested, not treasures to be protected. Intelligent Mm. and knowledgeable with a need for cognition. Intellectually curious, enjoy puzzles and mental challenges. Reflective, introspective and self-critical. Numerate, comfortable with numbers. In their methods of forecasting, they tend to be pragmatic, not wedded to any idea or agenda, analytical, capable of stepping back from the tip tip of your nose perspective and considering other views, dragonfly-eyed, they value diverse views and synthesize them on their own, into their own view, probabilistic, they judge using many grades of maybe, thoughtful updaters, when the facts change, they change their mind, two more, three more, sorry, Good intuitive psychologists, aware of the value of checking thinking for cognitive and emotional biases. In their work ethic, they tend to have one, a growth mindset, which I find a funny term. They believe it's possible to get better and grit, determined to keep it at, uh, keep at it however long it takes. Now that's mm. not what so you learn economists, at university. Economists need not apply. <laughs> Nicely <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, to me. Yeah. No, economists and company, Present company yeah. excluded. Yeah, well, indeed. And and um, not only, yeah, I mean, basically economists on numerous of those dimensions have those, if they turn up with those qualities, they're slowly subjected to water torture. They can't publish, they can't publish articles because they're not in the, they're not in this format of, you know, which is yeah. mathematized view of the world. Mm. Um, and so they're gradually replaced over, that they become the sort of eccentrics in the department. If they've got mm-hmm. any get up and go, they get up and go. Uh, and gradually over time, like the partners in one of these big pyramids of extraction, uh, you know, a, a consulting company or a law firm or a merchant bank, they get out. Uh, and you only end up with a certain type of personality at the top, and they're really pretty pleased with themselves because they they can boss everyone around, and everyone says how terrific they are. Well, what did you think of that nice bit of what you might call pseudoscience? I sent you that paper the other day, the one where they're uh, looking at not just um, the, the 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 mistake in economics is quantifying things that are nouns. Uh, whereas it needs to start including, um, you know, quantities for things that are processes like verbs. Uh, well, I think that all of those things, yeah, I, I kind of need to see, yeah, I'm more of a, uh, I mean, some of those things, that, that that's a nice generalisation out of context. Mm. I think it's sort of. Yep. Yeah, it's I, a I sexy idea. Make... It's a sexy idea yep. in the space at the moment. It's one of those yep. sexy ideas because there's this idea that, um, you know, in, in Native American languages are um, are verb based rather than noun based. Right. Well, sort of. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, my view about that is that this is yeah, this, people this are eating. Little... People are 
corporates are eating braiding sweetgrass and and uh, and and passing that little factoid around all over the yeah, shop well, and, that's and the looking point. at that. That's it's one of those point. sexy ideas. Yeah, it's space. the TED, it, yeah, it's the TED talkization of thinking, and thinking is hard, and thinking takes time, and thinking. If you want to think, you want to you kind of you you yourself think slowly, talk a lot, talk to people, and work out who you think you can trust. But don't talk. Don't. don't uh, you know there are good TED talks, but don't trust yeah. some nice slogan. That's some new slogan. That uh, there will undoubtedly be some truth to the slogan. But mm. it's, you know, if you just suddenly say, "Oh, our problem is, you know, we've been into nouns and now we need to be into verbs." Mm. Well, no. Well, look, part part, part of that problem there is is what you just said before that um, publishing is slow. Publishing is slow, and the world's moving quick now. It's not even a twenty-four hour news cycle. It's um, it's constant content all the time. And it is, yeah. um, you know, TED talk kind, YouTube videos kind of, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. stuff like that. And it's the sexy yeah. ideas that make people go, "Whoa, that's what that's what's getting the clicks." And and um, and, yeah. and the point about that, I mean, one point to make about that, which I sort of imply in the middle of the essay that I sent you, is that if you do that, you actually destroy diversity. So the point yes. I, I had a long, I had a long, I had a long quote from Bill Stanner, who I've only recently started to read, and he was an anthropologist, who just a he should be one, he he should be maybe the most famous Australian thinker, and most people have never heard of him. Mm. He was an anthropologist in the '30s. He headed out Bush, and he uh, spent time as anthropologists did with the the native people and he he so he'd been trying anthropology taught you to look at all the customs and then explain how that explain their functionality mm. and Stenner appreciated that that was a inter interesting and worthwhile thing to do god knows nobody else was doing it mm. but he actually made this breakthrough which is to say actually i want to encounter these people as other human beings and i want to encounter them in their otherness um and and of course if you've got to give a ted talk about someone and of course there are the woke brigade who'll trip you up if you use the wrong pronoun or or say anything that you know expose any attack surfaces um you're you can't do any of that stuff and as a result uh, it's quite noticeable that over the last 30 years, official descriptions of Indigenous life in Australia have airbrushed out things that Europeans find uncomfortable, like genital mutilation, uh, all kinds of stuff. And he was, he was right in there trying to engage with these people as, as I like to think, people from another planet, you know, people absolutely they're just people but they're so different and it's going to blow your mind and this is going to be fun because we've got something to say they've got something to say it's very very different and it'll be a lifetime just understanding some of those differences and trying to uh, build a fantastic life together mm. well um, and i don't know anyone nobody, nobody was keen too keen on that idea back in the day they didn't have to because they were the you know one was powerful and the other one wasn't powerful but yeah human beings are not at all good at this anywhere but then again 
Mm. You know, there are some very successful, uh, you know, in me, it's not true of all of the great societies, but some of the most wonderful societies are very multicultural. I went to Sicily recently and I walked around the Cathedral of Monreal and, and it's in the biggest city, Palermo, the only city in the world, I think, with two cathedrals. And this was built in the 12th century. And, the, and, and it is, it, you know, if, if someone says, if you say, I want to go to the best place in the world for mosaics, people will say Ravenna. I'll say Monreal. You walk into this box, this cathedral. It is as it would have been in the 12th century. Mm. It is a gold box, uh, hundreds of feet high, uh, mosaic, gold mosaics all the way down the, the hall. The, the top mosaics, which are of the Old Testament, the story of the creation of the world, uh, the lettering is in Greek. And that was by Greek masons who'd been imported from Constantinople uh, just after the Great Schism uh, in 12 and 10, I don't know, anyway, things took a long time to happen there. The, yeah, yeah. the next layer down is in Latin, and these are Muslims. And they're all working in, on these mosaics because, of course, the Muslim faith is Abrahamic. It's all part of, you know, the, the, these, yeah. these traditions overlap. And the Sicilians are, were, Sicilians are basically Moors anyway. You know? Well, indeed, uh, that, that's right. There was something like 50% of the population who were practicing Muslims. Uh, women were much more powerful there than elsewhere. So this, I just sort of wandered around this church listening to a guide, um, you know, stealing from what they were saying because they were saying it to someone else uh, who'd paid. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is just, this is just an extraordinary an extraordinary flower, human flowering of, of these different cultures coming together mm. um, and finding new things. Um, and, uh, you know, that's one of the recipes for a, an incredible renaissance to bring yeah. together different ways of looking at things and yet them not, and for war not to break out. Basically. Well, you know, a culture is like an ecosystem and, you know, that there is exchange there across yep. systems and across bioregions. But it's also an ecosystem in the sense that you can't build it. It's not something you yeah, can't design that's right. a culture. That's right. Yeah. You can't exactly. build, build a nation and decide what's going to go into the culture. It doesn't. Uh, it does not work like that. It's emergent. Um, yeah. It's absolutely. Emergent. Well. Hey, there's another well, uh, sexy word. Sexy word from uh, from my, my pseudoscience there. Emergence yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Well, I think of now. I like, so, I like to put these things in simple examples, and I think of us. Think of human beings as having a lot in common with polyps in a coral reef, which is that we build this house and then we inhabit it. And um, yeah. it's funny that we get ourselves fanged up about science because science works best when it's investigating things that are outside of us that are replicable and, you know, planets that keep going mm. around or, or the yeah. law of evolution. But we are, if we want to understand ourselves, well, we live in a space that we built or our, our ancestors built and we inhabit it, we live it, we reproduce it, we transform it. Mm. Um, so science conceived of as reproducible experiments and all the other kinds of formulas mm. that have been mm. proposed that's not that's just going to help us find kind of obvious stuff. It's, yeah, it's but that's that's when science when science is focused.
study of things. It's it's rubbish. But it's, when yeah. science is focused on processes, that's when things get interesting. You know. Well, and, but um, then it's yeah, not the same sort of time. too, I think. Um, I think economics largely, especially as you describe it too, is, is largely a, a pseudoscience. But, um, oh, it is. I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, I do think it could be more. You know, it could be quite scientific. I'd like to that. But just thinking about, you mentioned that inequality and, uh, and uh, power relations, uh, things like this before. So we agree that these things, these uh, unequal power structures, they don't just emerge somehow by osmosis from everybody's aggregate of attitudes. And that if everybody could just do enough cultural awareness training, that um, it would just go away. You know, yeah. that it's not just people on the ground in their daily interactions doing this stuff, um, but it is actually, you know, it is baked in. So what, how, how, how do you see it, inequality and, um, you know, uh, asymmetrical power relations being baked into um, the economic structures that we're operating in? Well, you, you started with, a, you know, that's an easy question, is it, Tyson? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you kind of just want me to tell you. I, you, um, you. You wrap it up in 10 minutes, I reckon. You, yeah, you should be 10, able to sort it out. Oh. How do I see that? I, I don't see that because I don't look. So I don't work. I've come to realize um, I don't try to build a model model of the world, which I claim I then helps me understand the world. And then I ask the question, how do I change the world? I look around and I look, I, I ask myself, what things, what does it look like would be promising to try and change and yeah. that's where my theorizing starts right uh, so so i would there's a big horrible word which i even hate myself and i've got to come up with a better word i mean one i could use anthropology another one is phenomenology mm. and but but what i mean is actually it's Goodness. jerry seinfeld i'll just because jerry seinfeld has a routine in which he says uh girls you know women do you want to know what we're thinking he's talking about men and then they all the people in the audience, the girls in the audience, the women in the audience will say, yeah. He says, we're not thinking anything. We're just walking around, looking around. <laughs> and and it's a sort of gender joke. And most people think it's funny. And most think people think it's true. And so do I. But I just walk around. I look around. I look. So I don't have, I mean, I'm, of course, in the back of my mind, I've got all kinds of implicit theories about the way the world work, works. Mm. You would be a mad person if you don't. If you didn't, but that's not. But but what I do is I try to ponder a thing that I've looked that I'm looking at that I it seems other people are not looking at quite like that, mm. and and that's what I've done. That's how I've come up with a description of why we can't get any of these programs to work because I've taken the trouble to try to observe what actually happens rather than what we tell ourselves is happening. Mm. And working backwards from that, I then say, well, therefore, we should focus on what we can do. You know, if we're trying to improve, if we've got a, 
approach, we're spending tens of billions of dollars, which we are, and we tell ourselves this is to improve Indigenous well-being, then we should be asking not questions like what are our four favourite words for describing our strategy. We should be asking what bits of this seem to work and where and why, and what bits could we expand a bit, mm. and what bits, and what's stopping this bit working, and so on. Um, so, so, so that's my, so, so I don't have a model of quite how, um, I, I don't have an articulate model of quite how power imbalance arrived, but I do have quite a bit to say about what we can do about it. Mm. And, and what we can do about it is we can talk to people, we can be very simple in our approach to people who are not going so well. And we can say questions, and this is what we did at the Australian Centre for Social Innovation, and we did it with families, but then we were quite confident, and we might have been wrong about this, but everyone was tiptoeing, everyone tiptoes around Indigenous things and tells you to go off and get cultural sensitivity training and unconscious bias training and all that stuff. And our, and our, and I don't want to speak for them, I'll just speak for myself here, but our methodology was to get, sit down with people and say, ask simple questions to which you would imagine anyone could relate, like, what do you like about your life? What don't you like about your life? How would you like your life to, um, how would you like to improve your life? What things do you think you could work on? And what things do you think others could work on to get your life in a better shape? And let's build something around that and do it for a few weeks. And then if it's working, we'll know more and we'll build more and so on yeah uh, why don't you just move into a house that's not full of asbestos you know uh well yeah but we did yeah. that i mean we did that in the 70s <laughs> we bought people land rovers we spent huge amounts of money we created a big backlash against among white people mm. and and european people were unhappy that they were footing the bill for houses that were junked now that then turns into a big moralistic shit fight but yeah. but it shouldn't be we we have to proceed according to what we've learned we can do rather than according to these political slogans um yeah. so, but, there's, so but that, there's a structure in there with the people who are in those places there, there are there are zoning no you know things I no mean, question but, what, but know, then look, i have to I, I, I don't you. think it's it's the bad attitude of police that gets that gets people shot you know, I don't think that's the only the only factor there. You know, yeah. I, I think they're policing something. Yeah. You know, and so what's basically they're in service you. of a in service of a. So one of the big structures that's there, particularly, is 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 real estate. Um, you know, it's about um, enforcing enforcing zones and the sort of um, you know the unspoken rules that these kinds of people live on that side of the tracks, these kinds of people live on this side of the tracks, and to enforce that. You know, basically, so, that's what they're being paid to do. So they're so given discretionary powers around particular neighbourhoods in particular ways, and, and that's that's how it works. That's a structural issue. That's in totally there and it's, it's baked in. Totally agree with you, Tyson. Mm. So now I get to ask you, what's your plan? What are you going to do about it? Because you won't get the you won't get what you you're not going to get a lot of support. You'll get a lot of people saying they'll support you, mm. but what are you? What's your plan? What's oh. your plan? I'll tell you my plan. My yeah, plan yeah. is to not to ignore those things, to yeah. keep them in mind, know that they listen to your words. They are, what did you call them? Structural, Structural. 
they're structural. Yeah. So you and me having an angry conversation probably won't stand up to those structures. No, that's, that's what it. being structural is about. So we talk about them, we're aware of them, and then we try to build towards a situation where we can start to uh, build constituencies, um, build, uh, and, and the process of doing that might help with improving the structures, but it will also improve the situation of the poor mugs who have to live under those structures. Because mm. now they're, they've got a bit of a sense of their own agency. They know they're getting screwed over still. They probably know that rather better than they did before but they're feeling better about themselves. They, they're, they're feeling a little bit of their own agency as human beings. So yeah. that's my plan. It's so we, pretty much. We modest. can all adjust our attitudes to, um, you know, put up. No, no, I'm talking about a community. Yeah. But I'm, I'm talking about finding the leverage points, you know, within these structures and, um, yep. you know, Best finding some, some clever know. ways to, <laughs> to get in there if possible. It's worth a look. I mean, it, it is. It's more Don't than just like being it. aware that they're there, and then and then like you know, sending everybody a PDF document on mindfulness so that they can you know figure totally out how to agree. dust themselves off and get back out there and uh, exactly you know, start applying for jobs that don't exist. I mean, there are like you you mentioned that that whole kind of post-Soviet sort of weird structures there. I mean, there, there are so many remote communities now, and the closer they are to a mind, very like that. You see it yep. more. It's it's very Soviet, but it's all neoliberal branding. You know, the the place where people have to go up and be processed every day. You know, for their welfare or every every Absolutely. few days. You know, that's called the opportunity hub. You know, and we're going to yeah, put you I through know, training. You're going to feel yeah. really positive and do all this training. You can do anything. Follow yeah. your dream. No shame. Yeah. No shame. Just yeah. follow your dream. No shame at all. And you're going to train up. You're going to have 20 cert fives in bloody every possible imaginable skill and still no internal economy at the app opportunity hub. I totally you know, agree. It's just, and, and these structures are like, they're, they're Soviet. They're limiting people's movement on country because they're on a really short leash. You know, you can't stay away for a few days or they'll cut off your payment because you've got to go and check in. You know, it's some. Um, you know, there are structures that are getting tighter and are squeezing people, squeezing yep. people horrendously. And um, totally. you know, these aren't things for me. I mean, you're you're looking at that intersection of economics and policy and you're finding you're finding leverage points there and you're finding. Um, I don't know, like I think that like this paper that you're putting out now where you're getting people to face lies, face lies is that's a huge disruptive thing. You know, so how many meetings are people going to them. be able to? How how many meetings are people going to be able to walk into? There'll be people in those meetings who are just like, I can't do this, I can't well, do this, I can't recycle. I've been saying, it, I've been saying it for twenty years. I haven't. <laughs> I've been saying this for twenty years. I haven't seen a single meeting which I've disrupted yet. People people like being comfortable, as yeah. we all know. Well, because that's it's still only coming in at that uh, point of discourse, and there is yeah. something outside of the text. You know. Um, mm. and, and I guess that's that's the problem with a lot of the humanities where we've been going for the last 30 years is really focusing on on the discourse. It's looking at, well, if we can change the discourse, then we can change the power relationships. If we can change the words that we use to describe each other and the words we use to describe policy, um, you know, if we can airbrush that, then we'll change the world. Because <laughs> all these things are built on, uh, <laughs> you know, th there's nothing outside of the text. And I don't know, that's a good um, thermometer. It's a good data set. 
it's a really useful data set discourse analysis but it can't yeah. be it can't be everything it can't be the no. be all and end all but i'm yeah. not into but i'm i mean you can say that i've done discourse analysis but i'm not into discourse analysis as a technique i'm into being a human being living mm. among human beings which means i live in a discourse i live in a language mm. um you know you and i are not speaking german and probably neither of us could uh so we inhabit this world that is been built for us uh, by our ancestors. Now think of Aboriginal people. Mm. Uh, I guess half of the languages that were here 300 years ago are just dead. Uh, and probably another three quarters are probably on the way to extinction, the way things are going at the moment. Uh, that, that, that's, the, that's the situation that we're in. Um, and but 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 I don't want you know we're not I'm not encouraging anyone to do discourse analysis. Mm. I'm encouraging to be human beings and to be a human being is to feel one's agency within a language, within a culture, among others, among others who are like us, among others who are different to us. Yeah, but then in this paper, I don't see that as a as is a discursive thing. That you're doing there i i i see that you you've identified basically a, a structural flaw yeah and i want know, to and appeal. it's in that the the cycle yeah. the the elect, I want uh, to election appeal. cycle it's um it's it's in the it's in the production so it's it's in the process of of producing policy um, well i would say i would say you see i appeal i've got the two last sections are what is to be done within yep. an organization and i'm thinking of a bureaucracy not politics mm. and then what is to be done for you as an individual if you're a part of this these systems and what we've got at the moment is we've got the idea that if you want to do something good you get a project and the project will be you know more indigenous people doing this or less carbon emissions or something like that that's fine and dandy Mm. I'm saying that there's another side to ethics. Ethics comes from the Greek word, I think, to be together, mm. uh, to travel together. And the other side of ethics is, is my duty to be honest with myself, my duty to be honest with you insofar as you would like me to be honest with you, my duty to keep this infrastructure within which we all live and which we do our thinking in the language and our culture to keep it healthy to to get rid of the shit words in it that mean nothing to get rid of or not to get rid of i mean if somebody wants to you know we all gossip away and just sort of say silly things and that's great i don't but but you know what i mean the falsity mm. the propaganda quality of words Mm. Uh, that's the other side of this and the effective altruism folks and the social impact folks, they're not talking about any of these things. And in fact, they've bought into the process of degrading our language and our sense of ourselves, our sense of honesty towards ourselves, because they're pitching their projects and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not trying to hop into them particularly, I'm trying to say that we are facing a problem which is much more existential than a bunch of nice projects might suggest. Mm. We're, we're, we're facing a problem which is a bit like a fly with more teen sprayed on it, which is that our nervous systems are dissolving. Mm. 
inside of ourselves or rather outside of ourselves mm. our, our our language our capacity to think and to make sense of things um is uh it's kind of all we've got and we have to keep it healthy and it's becoming it's it's we've been degrading it for decades and uh uh it's not surprising that politicians lie to us because the whole tone the whole cultural tone is a tone of putting stuff over of your messaging uh the the idea of sober candor the duty we have to be honest with ourselves and with others is just it's got the mortine sprayed all over it. Mm, mm. i think that's that's the thing that you know I've, I've appreciated about your guidance um you know over this last this has been nearly a year now it's been months Whatever. for sure. It's been a while. It was just, um, I don't know, there, there aren't, there, you're one of a handful of people who will hold me accountable for my thinking. Yeah, yeah, for, absolutely. For, for, my, for my logic, you know. It's well, like, because it's scary. It's like, scary because it's easy for someone to come at me and say, well, you're being racist, you're being superior, you're white privilege. The whole, it's a very weaponized environment. Uh, yeah, it and, certainly is, and those things exist. But it's um, they totally you know, exist. it's. No uh, it, I think you know some people can use it as a, a sort of a shortcut, get out of jail free card. Um, Everyone's after a shortcut. Everyone's. You know, after I, I think I think you can do quite well in this world at the moment with with the right branding, and um, it it is it is it is difficult to do the work, and it's I got to say it's very enticing, you know, mm. since I've sort yep. of. I don't know, I've started becoming a baby thinker, you know, it's like, it's very enticing to um, say the easy things that people will just stand up and clap for. And then, um, right. you know, walk off and, and sort of go home and feed your kids kind of thing. I mean, that's, um, you know, fair enough. I think, I think, you know, most of the people who are doing that, they really are just trying to keep a roof over their heads the best way they know I really how, agree. you know, yeah. um, but it is, well, um, I think, well, well let me, I don't just know, there's something immensely satisfying about I don't know spending um, the, the last time we talked it was like three hours like yeah. i had to go i had to go i had to sleep for 12 hours after that it was just um, it <laughs> well, was the best mental workout i'd had for um you know forever i certainly well didn't get, get let that me say let me let me pay you a compliment which is that you're using your own humor and your own essential modesty to um to speak about yourself as a baby thinker. Well, guess what? I'm a baby thinker. Any thinker is a baby thinker. Um, maybe Heidegger and people who are way over my head, maybe they were yeah. adult. I don't know. But I mean, if you haven't had imposter syndrome, you're an imposter. Okay. We yeah. are little grains of sand, little, little tiny little specks of consciousness in a big world. And we have to and we get nowhere if we don't remind ourselves of that. And of course, we all have to make compromises. We're all busily marketing ourselves. Whenever someone introduces me, um, you know, they say all kinds of things. Uh, and I just go, right here, well, if that's what they think, I'll just leave them thinking that. I, they don't mm. need me to go, oh, shucks, I'm not really that. Um, there will be time for that. There will be time for that when I'm talking to someone who appreciates it. Mm -hmm. and won't think of it as just a piece of a kind of false modesty uh well, mo most people would most people would only be aware of the gruen transfer yeah, um because of the tv show they would. 
They would. But you yeah. but you have to hang on to that, Tyson, because and and you, as you say, the temptations are everywhere. And oh, there are me, inducements, I tell you. Let me tell you, let me tell you, I had a fantastic conversation with a guy. I'll tell you who it was. You can look him up on um you can follow him if you want to. One of the most thoughtful economists in the world, um, not a famous one, a guy called Steve Randy Waldman. Uh, he's got a fantastic Twitter feed. Yeah. Anyway, I was having dinner with him in San Francisco, which is where he lives, and we talked about Martin Luther King. And I don't know what I said. I might have said, look, we could we have another Martin Luther King now? Uh, now, of course, we will have another... We will have other people who are transformative and all the rest of it. But as he pointed out to me, he could pull in 50 grand a speech for the World Economic Forum anytime he wanted to. Mm. Well, that's a different world. That is a different world. Martin Luther King didn't have that option. I don't expect he would have taken it up. Well, I, 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 they explored that on a TV show. It's a, it's a black anime TV show called The, the Boondocks. And they did an episode what would happen if Martin Luther King came back and yeah. so they they brought him back and he was just nobody and no one was yeah, I think that's quite likely because well, he, didn't, quite he likely. didn't have any good memes you know and yeah. he was just looking around what the hell are people talking about what have I done yeah. um yeah. you know it, it was just um you know everybody was it was in the middle of the R Kelly sort of <laughs> business you know going on and and there was just all kinds of stuff going around uh, OJ, you know, all this sort of stuff is, is happening. And he's yeah. just sort of look around going, you know, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, well, if you're nobody, talking about nobody was interested. They'll just say, oh, look, yeah. it's 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 and if you end up talking, I mean, I just watched a, I, I just watched my son showed me a farcical interview on BBC TV where the leader of the 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 Labor Party over there had said, said something. It, it was it was a trans thing, and the leader of the Labor Party had said something about that people. I don't, it was something about women and people with cervixes. You can fill in the gaps, you know. Mm. And so they're having a. They then started talking to the the female chancellor of the Exchequer about this. Should he have said that? Did she agree with this statement? This is a sort of weaponized little slogan. Uh, and like, if, if if Martin Luther King comes back. And he finds himself talking about O.J. Simpson, something's gone wrong because mm. he talked about the kids in the slums. He talked about redlining. He was gutsy enough to talk about the militarization of poverty and mm. Vietnam, even though everyone said, don't go there. Um, it's very hard to talk about those things now. The, because the other thing they're, is they're not allergenic. The other thing is he'd be cancelled because of all the sex parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he'd be cancelled, all right. He'd, and there are some reasons to argue he should have been cancelled. There's some very nasty things going on with underage girls. But, but he, 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 that, he but was an extraordinary man. Yeah, that's what I mean. You tell me one extraordinary figure in history Absolutely. who wasn't a bit of a Absolutely. dog. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, a complete right. dog. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. that's all we do. We look around find something to weaponize and then put on a, a you know a, a 30 minute ep edition of the 730 report uh, about something mm. and that's just massively destructive mm. uh um in fact russell i i was never a fan of russell brand until i read a guy you might be familiar with him a guy called mark fisher who is no longer with us but he's a kind of cultural critic and he pointed out that um 
The reason Russell Brand was marginalised was that, well, I'll send you the, I'll send you the, um, I'll send, I think I'll be able, yeah, I should be able to find the article. And he made a very good case that basically what was happening is that the, the sort of upper middle class speech police, um, you know, just, he's, he was talking from a different place. He's talking from a working class place mm. um and he was speaking a, in a language which cannot be properly understood unless you try and listen to it rather than just try to find ways to the, you know try to find some tripwire that this guy there's, has. Uh, there's has quite a, a bit of that going on in the uk right now a lot of uh working class uh people you know comedians artists uh thinkers are kind yep. of stepping up and and trying to um you know, reintroduce class into the conversation. So yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Sorry, Mark Fisher this is. Did. You, we, the, the whole world is expected to speak like somebody who's come from university. And um, yeah, exactly you know, right. Exactly and, right. Know, and that's what we, Mark we Fisher. That's what Mark Fisher drew attention to. We don't. We don't fucking talk like that. That's right. Well, you got you got color. You got gender. You've now got uh, yeah, and sexual orientation and various other things. But but and this marginalizes something of immense significance, which is class. And by class, I don't mm. mean necessarily the British mm. sense, highly uh, class conscious class, but it's just true here as well. And, mm. and education is the main marker for class. And we basically say, if you haven't had a university education, if you don't talk like a university educated person, we're not interested, you're a hick. Mm. And that then comes back into our politics, toxified via Pauline Hanson. But that's perhaps another. That's no, perhaps but that's 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 an important part of the ecosystem. That's why, like, I know where you're coming from, and um, but you know exactly everything that you've said is also the things that a lot of very disingenuous. Yeah, they are saying in exactly the same way, um, but they're <laughs> they're they're doing the weaponization thing as well, and they're dog well, whistling, dog whistling to a constituency well, which well, well, is really easy. And a really yeah, easy constituency to manipulate and they, they they basically say all the same things that you've been saying and in the, the same ways that you've been saying them and then um you know the the damage that they're doing in the world right now is is quite horrendous you know? well i agree with that but i, I see now i'm really at risk the of being, I'm, I'm really at risk of being misunderstood but i will press on you have to see it from their point yeah, of view. But... And some of them are just m nasty. I mean, just bad news. I, t I pulled up at Melbourne Airport about two months ago, and there was a, essentially a Nazi truck there. Well, it didn't have Nazi swastikas on it, but it had blood and soil written, which was a Nazi slogan on it. Mm. And it just gave me the absolute creeps. So I'm not talking about that. But if you have view if you have certain views the media will not pay you any attention whatever yeah. if you don't weaponize them in these kinds of ways well it's it's i mean it's quite simply because of the um the, the algorithm that that comes under you know all content exactly. goes under, under an alg algorithm and if you're That's if right. you're speaking that way that goes straight to this dog whistle algorithm for a whole heap of very 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 bad stuff um, yeah, well, like really yeah. intensely weaponized misogyny. And they'll use, if you're saying it in mild ways, they'll use that as an icebreaker. 
as something right. yeah, they, yeah. they'll, they'll yeah. use it in the first tier to to um, yeah. radicalize yeah. people so you're coming in with oh well, nicholas gruen saying these very um you know reasonable things it makes a lot of sense what's the next video click that next minute you're completely radicalized into incel or bloody um you know uh, uh mig towels or something like that me. and you basically you, you found yourself no but they'll use you as an icebreaker and that's yeah. that's the problem with it that's why that's why it gets shut down um because it's it's basically radicalizing people into these really horrendously damaging damaging things that not only polarizing everybody but you know these young men are then running out writing manifestos and um, shooting up schools shooting up mosques all these sorts of things um yeah. it's you know um pretty much most of the mass shootings in the united states are linked to this you know it's um it's some pretty horrendous stuff so it's you know it's everything you do if you're accountable to your word you know you have to be aware of your um the algorithm that you're creating and your space in the ecosystem and i'm i'm very intensely aware of that because of my you know um flirtations with the complexity theory community that makes you that brings you adjacent to a lot of um you know a lot more troubling sort of communities as well there are a lot there's a lot of overlap there and a lot of that a lot of that stuff is kind of used as an icebreaker to get into some other um you know pretty crappy ideas that some um, on the surface seems all right but it's actually quite disingenuous so you got to be careful uh careful with uh you got to mix things up a bit yeah no yeah. well i agree i agree mm, absolutely um, but I, and I think, but structurally, with when you're looking at um, how policy is enacted, and um, you know how much it's informed by put, throwing up these buzzwords, and and throwing together these just gammon frameworks, and um, you know basically just you know um, completing the cycle, going towards discursive collapse, discursive death, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, in preparation for the next cycle. It's like yeah, it's that that. Toxicity. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a little um, uh, uh, that's a little basin of attraction there. That's a little um, a little leverage that's point that's right. probably worth exploring because I think yeah. there's there's probably some sort of mechanism you could get going in a few spaces there to um, to um, you know um, to really disrupt things in in some pretty productive ways. I reckon. I, well, I, re I reckon you need to get that paper out there and uh, need to start having some yarns with some. Um, with some with some decent thinkers, you know, who um, might be able to put, uh, you know, work with you to put together, you know, a couple of little actions there, just little things that you could you could start enacting and getting getting people trying trying out. Um, I have no idea what they are yet, but you know, I, I can well, see I've something happening they, there. I've, what, I've said what some of them are in the conclusion of the essay, but they're yeah. not things. In, I mean, they're going to. In the organisational section, I've talked about this thing mm. which take too long to explain called the evaluator general is not quite what it seems. Uh, but in the personal section, I've talked about people choosing in however small a way the truth and life over falsity and pseudo life. Now, pseudo -life. that can't really be measured. That can't really be measured. But people feel it. And I'm addressing myself not to the system but to the people in the system we have disappeared inside this machine hmm. and we have to emerge in, we have to emerge defending life we have to de emerge defending the possibility 
that when somebody says something, it leads somewhere where, where we weren't expecting, not where we were expecting. Uh, and, and that's a scary prospect because of nice. course there are people in bad faith and we have to assert that there are also people of good faith, that there are people who want to speak with each other, commune with each other, find out about each other, be honest about themselves to each other in a, in a, in a way that is, mm. um, in a way that is, is, is not blurting it out as if you're in an encounter session, but is an exploration, a, a, a gentle often, uh, exploration of the possibility of shared meaning. Uh, and we've lost, you know, that, that's, that sounds, well, just sort of, a lot of people will just think I'm talking gobbledygook, but I think younger people, hmm. people who have to falsify everything they say about themselves when they go to a job interview or, a, or try and get a scholarship, have to make up a TED talk about themselves. When I talk to people about these things, when I read them that extraordinary a paragraph, set of paragraphs about how this guy spent 10 years of his life lying and he's a good guy or a woman, I, we don't know who it was, they get this. They know that they're in this system. Mm. And I want to draw attention to that and then to say we're all capable of choosing in some small way to live within something we think is closer to the truth rather than something we think is closer to what we want people to hear us say. That's the tricky thing. Look, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I think um, I, I think the, the the one thing that I've been doing uh, that that's been a lot of fun is is resisting branding and and marketing. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've sort of you know you know I spend I spend most of my time just thinking up culture jams whereby I can um, I can disrupt the sort of branding and algorithmizing of, of you know, yeah. what, whatever it is that I'm starting to represent to people. You know, yeah. I try to sabotage that at least once a day. And, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> that's, and yeah. that's been a lot of fun until I started to sort of think, oh, hang on a minute, that's my brand. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I ended up branding myself anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, well, the, the, but this is... is dynamic. Culture is dynamic. You, yeah. you can't get ahead of it. It'll, yeah. it'll, uh, it's a this lava lamp. You know? In the end, you do have to feed yourself, and all the people in these organisations, yeah. policymakers included, they have That's to right. go home and, and put a roof over their their kids' heads. You know, that's and right. um, exactly you know, right. it's uh, anything that's going to happen is going to happen slow, um, yeah. which is unfortunate at a time when a bit of urgency is needed. But um, you know, I guess we'll see how we go. Well, things can happen fast, but you don't quite know what they are. And, and uh, you know, things can, things can go out of fashion fast. Um, so, you know, things can happen fast, but we can't, we're not, I, you know, I'm not interested in thinking of myself as the social engineer at the top of this system. Um, mm. uh, I like to think about that. I like to think about what people who might be there and I'll never be there might do, and the fact is they're part of the system too. As Václav mm. as Havel says, the Prime Minister and the Greengrocer are both, implicit, are both complicit in this system. They both reproduce it. The Prime Minister has more power, but also has more constraints on them. Mm. Um, and they basically, uh, so, so I want to think about the system, but I also want to uh, remind myself and everyone else 
that we are human beings, we're going to end up in a box and we need to try and uh, do, uh, we need to feel as if we are choosing better rather than worse with the people we talk to, with what we do, uh, in whatever way unfolds, uh, in whatever way we feel is right for us. Mm. Um, well, it's, it's look, uh, ca capital is very good at, um, at, at leveraging disasters, <laughs> you know, yeah, for, for massive and rapid change. So um, yeah, maybe we need to start true. thinking from that. Uh, yeah. You certainly, you can't change things from the top. That's a very slow moving beast. Uh, the yeah. tops, the the top is structured as it's structured, and it's there for a reason. Um, yeah. You know, and capital doesn't really care about that either. You know, no. but they do leverage the disasters really well, and um, and yeah, maybe that's what we need to start doing too. Um, a bit of uh, you know, crisis capitalism, but uh, crisis what it gruenism going the other way. <laughs> See how we can go. Well, look, we run out of time, and I get to get back to my kids. Speaking of, so okay. um, yeah, we'll have to wrap her up. But thanks for the yarn again, brother. Thank you. It was fun. Put me through my paces. Put me I, through mine. I still want to. I still want to get back to. Um, yeah. I want to get back to supply and demand with you at some stage. I've got good. questions. All I've right, got good. questions, and that, that's some of my some of my better um, and more, more popular pieces of pseudoscience, and 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 little bits and pieces of grifts uh, going on around that. So I want to. Um, I want to sort of. Yeah, I, I want to sort of well, get into my logics around that and see where the flaws are. But uh, we'll do that one next time. Yeah, sounds right. good. Thanks, bud.